Hello, I'm Steve, the retired criminal investigator with the Office of Special Investigations, the Air Force's federal law enforcement agency. I'm Hannah, his daughter, the amateur true crime enthusiast. I have always been fascinated with my dad's job, and I love starting conversations with him to learn more. Join us each week as we share these conversations with you and discuss a real criminal case that piques our interest. Welcome back, everyone. So today we're going to be talking about a little bit of an older case. Um, Dad, this happened in 1967. Her name was Susan Galvin. Um, this case has actually been in the news recently, so mm-hmm. um, that'll come into play a little bit later. So Susan was 20 years old. She worked as a uh, records clerk at the Seattle Police Department in July of 1967. She had just moved to the area a year later or a year previously, year before 1966, from Spokane. Um, she actually lived in a neighborhood that was close to the Seattle Center for Arts and Entertainment Complex, and that is important a little bit later, too. And, th- and that was a few years old. It was it was built for the 1962 World Fair. Right. Um, so it was five years old. Right. So it was fairly new. Um, so on July 9th, um, it was like 9th, 10th, her shift was the graveyard shift, so she was walking pretty late to work. Um, she was on her way to work, and she just never showed up. Um, and, you know, she worked at the police department, so they noticed right away. Um, so then on the 12th, uh, so it was July 12th, 1967, an investigation into her um, missing began. Because, again, like I said, they were a police department. They were all pretty yeah, so they, aware. I mean, that's always nice. You know, she works for the police department, even though she was a clerk. So one of their own is missing, and... You know, they couldn't get a hold of her, so sure, they're going to jump into action. That's nice. Yeah, they took it pretty seriously from the beginning, which, you know, every missing person's, in theory, should be. Sure. But, and then just a day later, July 13th, 1967, she was actually found, um, she had been sexually assaulted and strangled inside the Seattle Center that I mentioned before. Um, She was actually found in a parking garage elevator um, by an attendant in in that garage. Um, it had actually been closed for a few days, but it had a walkway that she was known to use a lot to get to her, the bus to go to work. So she would walk through the center to get through. to the bus stop. Yeah, it was just like a little. It, it's like you said, she lived close there. So it seems like she was walking to the bus stop and she cut through this place, walked up, the, took the elevator and, and got off to this bridge and, and went to the bus stop. Right. And that would take her to the police department. Mm-hmm. So after she was found, um, they immediately jumped into action. They interviewed dozens of people, um, but they were mainly focused on a clown who actually worked at the center who was called Punchy. Um, (laughs) He had been seen with her right before she was killed. So a couple of things I read said that they had been seen having dinner or they were just seen together. They were known to be like friends. That must have been fun tracking that lead down. (laughs) Uh, We're looking for Punchy. Yeah, Punchy the clown is what he's called. I I, I mean... can you imagine if there was like 15 people like on shift work all dressed up playing punchy? That would be difficult. But I think <laughs> it was probably just one person. Yeah, I think there were multiple clowns is what I read that worked in the center. Mm-hmm, yeah. But they were all different and they all had different names. So it was probably pretty easy. And like I said, you know, this hit home for them because she was one of them. So they are doing their investigation. Um, and it kind of they really only have that one suspect, that one lead. Um, they, you know, they collect all the evidence and they actually did a fantastic job collecting evidence. This is 1967. So DNA, what is not a thing at this point, right? Like right. DNA. Okay. Well, so what Testing. evidence, 
what evidence did they collect then? So they did collect a palm print on the elevator. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was uh, semen that there was on the her clothes. Right. So they collected the clothes. They collected and, the clothes. And, yeah. And they collected the clothing. And they they dusted for fingerprints in, in the elevator. Mm-hmm. And obviously they recovered a palm print because we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So that's really, you know, the only evidence they... I mean, that, that's, you know, like the information we have says that they they collected within standard protocol in 1967. Right, which is crazy that it was so well preserved. Like, they were just collecting her clothes. Mm-hmm. They didn't even really necessarily mean to collect what was on the clothes. It just so happened that it was preserved. So, yeah, at this point, it kind of is... It goes into a cold case. They, you know, they have no leads. They... Talk to Punchy the Clown. Um, I read a couple things where the detective said that he was also a main suspect because he was, you know, acting a little weird. He he mm-hmm. went back and forth on his story on if he knew her, if he didn't know her. He was going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there was no evidence and it just it ended up being a cold case for so long. Um, so in 2002. Yeah, the, qui- the quickest way to get rid of the police is to tell them the truth. Just cooperate, yeah. If, if you didn't have anything to do with it. You know, the quickest way to get them to hang out and continue to ask you questions and put you on the suspect list is to adjust your story here and there and make it sound like you're hiding something. Right, <laughs> which is what he was doing, apparently. Mm-hmm. So then in 2002, detectives uh, went back to examine her clothes that had been preserved for evidence, and they sent them off to the Washington State state crime lab mm-hmm. um but unfortunately it did not match anything in the fbi's database what, so what did they say films. that again what did they send they sent it to Was- the washington state crime lab they sent what the, her clothes her clothes yeah in 1967 no in 2002 oh 2002. So 2002 detectives went back to the clothes because now we have dna now we know what dna is so they went back to look at her clothes to see if there was any dna that could potentially be extracted from it and they got it, but there was no matches. Right. Which I'm going to have a... I guess DNA and palm prints are different, right? DNA and fingerprints are mm-hmm. two different things. They're two different databases. Oh, oh yes, of course. Okay. So um, CODIS for the for the DNA and then APHIS, automated fingerprint Perfect. system. But, um, yeah, we're going to talk about that some more. Um, at this point, they're like, hey, DNA is a thing now. In, in fact... It was 20 years later, in 1987, when they first started solving criminal cases with DNA. So 20 years after this case. So, and even further after that, in 2002, as you mentioned, so they said, hey, let's send these clothes in, see if there's DNA. They found semen, and they had some DNA. But at that point, there there was nothing. Nothing was coming up in the system to say, hey, we have a suspect. Right, which is so, kind of ironic, like that date and how that happens, because like I said, we have a fingerprint. Right, so so at this point, you have, so now they know, okay, we have DNA, mm-hmm. but at this point, you have to get a suspect, you have to get a ma- you have to get somebody that can uh, donate the, the DNA, you have to get a donor, you have to get somebody that you can get DNA from and then compare it to that. That's kind of where they're at after this. Uh, right, how you get a match. After they get a negative uh, result from that search. Okay. Right. So then it's, again, kind of you know, stalls there. It's still cold. In 2016, it's Detective Rolf Norton, 
who reopens the case. Um, and he actually goes and finds Punchy the Clown <laughs> that we talked about earlier. He's in Utah. Um, and he actually obtains a search warrant to well, collect Well, at, at this DNA. point, they, they he, his name is in the file. They know what his name is. Right. So they didn't, they didn't have to go look. I mean, they knew his name. Right. They, they weren't looking for Punchy like they were in 1967. They're not releasing his name right. because he was cleared. Yeah, so cleared. all we have is Punchy the Clown. Okay. So the um, person that was playing Punchy the Clown, they have his name. And they said, hey, we, have, we now have DNA. Let's go track him down so and, get, and get DNA from him. Mm-hmm. Just in case he duped us back in 1967, right? Because he was still like the main person mm-hmm. of interest, exactly. Um, and he was cleared, so that's you know that's really awesome. How many years is that later? <laughs> 2016. It's like almost 50. Oh, that was 2016. Right? So oh, yeah, yeah, almost 50 and years later, he's finally cleared. I mean, I don't think he was probably worried about it because he knew that he didn't commit the crime, right? But I can imagine mm-hmm. the case being open for so long. There's still. I'm sure he's sure. Been contacted every Yeah, so I guess. And this was all in the news, so he's... he's right, so I don't think they... From what I can tell, I don't think they ever released his name. Right, I so, can't find his name either. Which is pretty good, because yeah. oftentimes, you know, they find out that you, that you have a person of interest or a suspect or something, then, that'll and ruin. that'll get out into the news. Yeah. And, you know, that, that can ruin someone's life. I mean, especially yeah. since he's he's innocent, so... Yeah, so that was awesome that they were able to clear him for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so DNA working... Again, in another person's favor. So then we're going to jump forward a couple years. Spring of 2018, I am sure most everyone is aware (laughs) that the Golden State Killer was arrested. This set a new standard for using genealogy because that is what ultimately, um, I think it was a different website, is what ultimately solved that case. So when that happens, Detective Norton is like, hmm, let's see if that'll work for us. Um, So he sent the DNA that was found on Susan's clothing to the Virginia-based Parabon Nanos lab. Um, And then Cece Moore is the Parabon genealogist. She is the person that's going to be working with this DNA. um, And she, it gets sent to GEDmatch, which is the website that law enforcement can use um, where DNA is uploaded to. Now it's, you know, voluntarily. So you have to upload it yourself. Yeah, so let's t- let's talk about that mm-hmm. uh, for a minute. So so Parabon is a uh, just a, a forensic lab, a DNA right. lab, and one and of the they thi- have genealogists that work there, right? So so one of the two of the things they do there's like four core um, lines of um, effort that they do. One of them is uh, forensic forensic DNA for lead purposes for mm-hmm. law enforcement, and the other one is. Uh, DNA genealogy, mm-hmm. tracking uh, tracking down the family tree and, and that kind of thing. Uh, so that's what they do. So you, th- so they sent so the DNA was sent to them, right? And so Cece Moore is the one, the specific genealogist that's working there mm-hmm. that is handling this DNA in the case. So so they they knew you know when the police department sent it to them, they knew what they were looking for. Say so, hey, we we have DNA and we have no suspect. Can you do your thing? And they send right. it right to the genealogy uh, part of this company. Right. Okay. Um, so she was actually able to trace the genetic profile um, from the evidence back to two distant cousins that were born from a couple in the 1820s and 1830s. Now, okay. So how how did she do that? How did they do that? So she's using the DNA to match it with like a family tree in GEDmatch. So right. she's matching it to... 
family member. She's finding okay. a match, and then she found the cousins. All right, let's talk about Jed Match then. Let's yeah. let's kind of get the listeners up to speed on what Jed Match is. It this make sure I I got this right mm-hmm. too because I didn't understand it either. Uh, yeah, it's because <laughs> if you go to it, JedMatch dot com, it's real ugly. It's, it's an it's old a, looking old website looking thing. from like the and, early two thousands nineties. And you log in. You have to log in mm-hmm. because what they're what they're doing is they're compiling all of the genealogy DNA companies. You know, so um, twenty three and Me, Ancestry. Not so. No. Those companies cannot actually give your DNA to GEDmatch. So GEDmatch is a voluntary voluntary. Right. Thing. So you, you have to voluntarily do it and you have to upload it yourself. So like 23andMe Ancestry, they're not going to upload it to GEDmatch. You have to do it yourself. Right. That, so but so like I've I've done the Ancestry. So mm-hmm. I put it into GEDmatch. You Jed upload Match, the file. Right. Right. right but if you choose to do so. What GEDmatch does is they take all those profiles that are that are donated. Mm-hmm. Because, like, Ancestry doesn't do... Ancestry keeps things to themselves. Right. 23andMe keeps things to themselves. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. So if I volunteered to send my Ancestry profile to GEDmatch, they're going to combine it with everything else, and they're going to look for family yeah. tree-type genealogy and say, hey, guess what? You have a distant cousin here or, or right. something like that it okay. seems to also be a little cheaper than ancestry yeah. i think it was well, like ten dollars a month or they have like two different pricing it was pretty cheap because it seems like they're only doing one thing they're just taking right. the de- like ancestry you know they're constantly updating you know i get emails all the time yeah hey we, we did we, the free subscription ad- i still get emails we, we've adjusted you you, yeah. you know you, you're not 60 percent irish you're 55 percent <laughs> irish you know yeah. they they're always adjusting it but it seems like GEDmatch is just take your profile mm-hmm. and they're just creating this huge family tree, I guess, this huge right. connection. So Right. And the second thing that they do is they do help law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Oh, they, so it is right, tool. they support law enforcement. Yeah. Right. And so it is something for law enforcement to use. And again, everything that goes into this database is voluntary. So you have to voluntarily, okay. they're not just going to have your DNA from a different website. Mm-hmm. So if I think I have a killer in the family, I should do- donate my. <laughs> I should give him my sample. Right, and that's the thing. No one ever thinks like I don't think the families of these, you know, the family members of these people. I don't think they ever thought that there was going to be a killer in their family. <laughs> they were never thinking that this was going to happen. I'm sure. No, right, right. Um. So right, that's not what people donate their uh, send their DNA in for. Right. That's a. It, it has become a tool. It's an offshoot of, of that to be and able to help is, law enforcement. Right. And there is like uh, when you sign up for it, there is a bunch of disclosures that you have to read and agreements that you have to sign. So they do say like they let you know like, hey, this is a tool that law enforcement uses. So if you don't want law, law enforcement to have access to this, like so when you sign the agreement, you're basically saying law enforcement right, can look right. at my DNA and my my family tree and everything. Yeah, this is controversial. Um, yeah, uh, a lot oh, of people, I have some notes on yeah, that. Yeah, we'll at talk the about end. that at the end. Um <laughs> but it's good. So it, yeah, we'll we'll talk about that at the end. Yeah. Okay, I I think So that's well, I think match. we painted the picture of wh- how it's being used and and how we're going to try right. to track down. So we have we have a DNA profile. Right. With no suspect. Right. Okay. So uh, C.C. Moore is the one that is going through the profile. Mm-hmm. So she ends up finding two distant cousins. 
that somewhat matches the it's suspect's perfect. DNA, right? Right, yep. That takes her to the couple that was born in the 1820s, 1830s. And through them, she goes down their family tree until she hits a Frank Whippage. And the reason she stops on him is because he was actually born in Seattle and he was only a few years older than Susan Galvin. Mm -hmm. So he was in the area at the time. And he was the only one on the tree that fits that criteria. So she lands on him and that's who she gives to the police is that name. So this genealogist, so this is like a, uh, they're an investigator as well. Like they they get this project Mm -hmm. and they just start tracking it down and they're doing more than just matching the DNA. They're they're looking probably into. She has to remember dates and times. Looking into the whole genealogy. Oh, let's Mm -hmm. probably get in census uh, records and things like that. Okay. Right. Pretty cool. That's like process of elimination basically is how she got right. to Frank Whippich. Frank Whippich. Right. In the area around the time in 1967. Right. In 1967, he was 26 years old. Um, he was a former soldier in the army in the early 60s. So a little bit before that. Um, so he is around her age. So then in 2019, January 2019, so we're going to fast forward a little bit. Um, Norton actually con- finds one of Whippich's offspring. So one of his kids is living in the area still. So Norton goes um, to them and got consent to collect their DNA. So what he's going to do now is test their DNA against the suspects. Can you imagine that they have an evidence? Can, can you imagine that? Hey, um, the police, um, we think maybe your dad was a killer. Can we get some DNA? Yeah, to have to... Figure out how to go about that. But but then again, so it, here's the thing to keep in mind. He was divorced, and so maybe... He it, was divorced in 1971. Yeah, so maybe his kids were estranged from him anyway? So he actually had a kid. So at the time of her murder, he had a kid already. And then, like, I think I read two years later, he had another kid. It's unclear which yeah. one of these No, it, it is. And they're, and they're doing... They're, they've done a good job protecting them. And they right. also... What did the... The detective made sure he mentioned that they've been fully cooperative and they're actually victims right. in this story as well. But it's it's likely that maybe they didn't have a good relationship with their dad anyway. Yeah, I mean, he was also he had also been in prison. We're going to get to that in a second. Yeah, so yeah. He had been in prison. He's they got divorced. So um, then that same month, so still January of two thousand nineteen. Um, and, you, you know, it's crazy to think that this is I know we're in 2021, but this is still technically a year for me. Like, mm-hmm. I guess it's two years, but it feels like a year because it was just yesterday. Yeah. But this just recently happened. So all of this that we're talking about literally was just two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so the palm print that was found in the elevator, they matched it with prints that was taken from Whippich when he was arrested in 1971. So in 1971, he was actually arrested for larceny. Cool. So that's a good point, because. Mm-hmm. So they have the DNA profile, and they got the DNA from the siblings. So they they cinched that all up and said, "Yep, this this DNA belongs to this guy." And oh, guess what? He was arrested, so we have prints on file. Right. Okay. Yeah. So um, and oh, helped. by the way, we have prints from the elevator preserved in evidence so let's match it because that's even more solid if anyone is going to dispute like what you said if anyone's going to dispute the genealogy now they have the prints correct fingerprints are the number one way to you know it's it's the single most identifiable thing nobody else has your fingerprint so right um so 
1971, he was um, arrested for larceny. He served nine months in jail. Uh, later in 1975, he was also accused for impersonating a police officer and making traffic stops while armed. <laughs> he was never convicted of that, but that, like, can you just imagine <laughs> we've mm. just connected him to this murder? Like, that's really scary to think that yeah. he's out there for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, he, he had... So he had murdered somebody, and then he's out pretending to be a police officer. Right, years later. So it kind of makes you think. <laughs> right. Did he do this really more often? So then, or he felt brazen because at this point he knew he got away with murder. Right. Yeah, that could have been it too. He mm-hmm. was a little too. He had confidence in himself. Um. So then, in February twenty February twenty sixth, two thousand nineteen. His body was exhumed um, to test the DNA against the evidence, and it came back a match on April 12th. And I think that you had that they got the search warrant after the fingerprint. Right. So palm print. So now, so remember, let's back it up. So they had DNA from the clothes Mm -hmm. of um, Susan, and they tracked that DNA down to him, and they verified that through, through offspring, and... So now they had a name, and they went and got his fingerprints from his arrest, and then they matched them up to the fingerprints from the crime scene. So that gave them probable cause to get a search warrant, a search warrant to exhume the body for the purposes of collecting DNA. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes you see these shows and these stories, and they... They're asking permission from the family. That's what I was going to say. Couldn't he have just asked the family? He, he could He could have asked them, but this is a, a homicide investigation, and they had probable cause. They developed a warrant, and they got a warrant to, to exhume it. So Is that just one more piece of evidence? Like if they show a jury, like, look at this, we were able to get a warrant? Y- yes, r- okay. right. Uh, and, Instead of asking. Um, speaking of the jury, wh- where's this guy now at, at this point? Did we mention... Like right now? No, no. When when they're when they're no, they're oh, that's right. So he's deceased. There's gonna oh, be no right. yeah. yeah. So there's gonna be no um Yeah, right. it's not gonna matter. Right. They're thinking about it. So they have to put put everything so I wasn't gonna get to that to the no, no, right. end, but he does actually um die of di- diabetes complications in nineteen eighty seven, which right. you mentioned earlier, that's so, why I said it's ironic. So that's why they're exhuming his his body. That's why they got a right. warrant. Oh, we but, said, yeah. yeah, we didn't even mention that. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah, we, we didn't. Yeah, we didn't mention that. So, right. So he died. Uh, when in 1987, 1987. So twenty years later. Right. So that complications from diabetes. So that's mm-hmm. why um, they got the warrant to exhume his body. Um, so it just goes to show you. So they're still properly running this investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're doing it the way they're supposed to be doing it. And to to prove that that he was the guy. So okay, so right. they exhume his body and they send they send the bones off to a lab. Right. So that was uh, February twenty sixth, two thousand nineteen. They exhumed the body to test for DNA, and then on April twelfth of two thousand nineteen, it came back a positive match. Mm-hmm. So they can pos- positively say he is the one who killed Susan Galvin in nineteen sixty seven. So yeah, I mean that's it's really sad, but it's good. 50 years later, 52 years later, um, there's finally a conclusion to this case. And they, they brought her older brother in, and they had like sort of a ceremonial thing with the police, and, and they gave him a, a flag and such. Yeah. So May 8th, 2019, Chris Galvin, um, he was actually six years old at the time of the mm-hmm. murder. So, wow. Um, he was presented with the United States flag that was flying over the Seattle Justice Center the day Detective Norton solved 
the murder. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's closure for the family. Her, both of her parents at this time have, have passed, passed away. Right? Yeah. And so I, I read that she was one of eight, but I don't. She was the uh, oldest of eight. Right. So I don't know where. Uh, we just know the brother. Yeah. Or, or at this point, we don't know him where anybody else is at. And I think there was another at. brother was also there, but it was just yeah, him that okay. was presented with it. Yeah. Um, so really sad, but really great for the family mm-hmm. to have that closure. Okay, so my question is about the collection of evidence because it kind of mm-hmm. seems all over the place. This is 1967, like we mentioned earlier, 20 years or was it like 10 years, a few years before DNA. 20 right? years. 20, 20 was years it 1987? before. So it was 20 years before they used DNA to solve the first case. And okay, that yeah, was so in 1987. 20 years. So. So even today, like in a lot of cases that we that I've seen on like TV or anything we talk about, um, it kind of seems like DNA collection is all over the place. So like, why is it so different everywhere? Like, is not is everyone not trained the same way? Like, explain to me DNA collection and like what you're taught. Well, so it's it's advanced since 1987, mm-hmm. right? The, what you can do with DNA has advanced over the years. So the way you collect it is is sort of in the forefront. And so when you go up to a crime scene now, you're looking in every corner for the smallest little piece of DNA. Mm-hmm. And as I, I mentioned in the previous episode, we did anything you touch. You could, you know, obviously you're looking for fingerprints, but you can get touch DNA. Like you, mm-hmm. when you touch something, you could rub your DNA off of it. That's, that's, what they're doing these days right um so but in 1967 they're just collecting the clothes maybe to find some body fluids in in blood and those things in, in those days it was do like the type it, it was like, like blood, blood type, type yeah. um y- you know uh, that that kind of thing and i can't really i don't really know for sure but maybe they could tell with semen maybe they could tell it was male or female those mm-hmm. kind of things you know blood type male female those kind of things but what's important is they collected evidence properly for 1967. Right. And it was fingerprints, and it was uh, the clothing. They preserved it really well, That's the That's what I was going to say. So so for a homicide case, they have to keep that for the life of the case. So they preserved it. So they collected it properly. They packaged it properly. Uh, you know, they probably let the, the – if there was – if the clothing was wet or had some wet semen or something, they probably let it dry out properly. And there's rules for all those kind of things. And they and they preserved it all those years. So cases like this, they didn't know what they were collecting it for. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes in, in today's standard when they want to, hey, let's reopen this case and go see what we had for DNA, oftentimes they find out they don't have enough. They, they don't have enough or they couldn't, there wasn't a big enough sample. But nowadays... You're collecting as much as much as possible, and and everything ha- has DNA. So mm-hmm. you go to a crime scene. You know, I did a homicide crime scene one time, and we were taking, uh, you know, soda cans, mm-hmm. glasses, uh, half-eaten cookie. <laughs> you know, like wow. those aren't necessarily things you would take. Think um, of, yeah. You know, you're focusing on the blood and the murder weapon. But you're taking those things because you want you want to collect DNA. You want to know who has been there, um, those kind of things. Always taking fingerprints. Fingerprints have always been something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's different 
things to use for different surfaces and such, and it's it's difficult to do. So they preserved the, the fingerprints. Those are easier to preserve, I, I would I would imagine. So yes, and and then you know I don't I know what you're asking, and and you know obviously the advances in, just seems in all over the place. DNA now. You know, bigger de- police departments have you know more money, more training, and they have crime scene units. You know the CSIs. Mm-hmm. Uh, some places, the police officers themselves uh, collect uh, the evidence. I I did that in my cases, collected uh, the evidence. Um, you know, they do the best they can, and but nowadays everything everything yeah. can have DNA, so you're going to collect everything. I remember when I was younger, you guys had gotten me. I think it was like a like a play detective thing, like <laughs> a play set. And I remember you coming home one time, and I oh, guess yeah, I was yeah, asking yeah. questions. You remember I, about the yeah? So I took the pencil, um, the lead, the lead from the pencil, uh-huh. and kind of cr- we we did crushed a pencil, it. crushed it up, and um, you dusted it. You made me like put my thumbprint on something, y- y- and you yeah. dusted it over the thumbprint no, with tape. Do, yeah, I taught yeah. you how to do it. I, I we had was it one of the makeup brushes? I think yeah, yeah. And I showed you how to how to twist it and <laughs> over the pencil dust because yeah. it was uh, graphite. And um and then I showed you how to uh it takes to a collect tape it. and collect it. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. You remember that? Yeah, and that's that's super old. You don't see like the only time I've ever seen that method being used is on like a really old episode of like CSI, well, like from the early two thousands. That's uh, that's like a science project I made up. Right? I mean, we had you have special stuff to to, to do it. You well, know? I've seen there. Well, yeah. so is that fake on the TV CSI? It was no, like no, no, no. You dip CSI, you dip it in a, um. Like you dip it in a, a stuff, and then you you're brushing it, you're twirling it like this, you're twirling it over the thing. And there's different materials for different surfaces, but that that I just made up that science project <laughs> was, to show you. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. I've always remembered that. I, I, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, do you? So is that method not really used anymore? Then no, no. You, yes, that you dust for fingerprints. You can still do that. There's not yes. like a more advanced. No, so, um. Oh, you mean like like technology and, and stuff? Um, I guess again, I see things y- on TV. Y- you know, so like you know, black lights and photography and, right, and things yeah. like that. But you still, yeah, you always, yeah. That's right. Okay, that's, that's cool. Yeah. Um, you know, old school way too. We used to put a a thing, whatever the object was, in this little plexiglass box and put some. Um, what is it? The Cement, the uh, faster, what's the fast drying? Um, <laughs> super glue oh. in, a, in a little dish, and then turn on it, put a heater, put it on a heater, and it would, it, oh. would, fu- it would fume. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that in a CSI episode and it would, too. It would fume, and it, it would <laughs> yeah, fume, yeah. and it would stick to the, um, yeah, stick to the fingerprint, yep. and then you have that preserved. You can take a picture. And so such. that's a real thing too. I've seen that. I literally, we were watching CSI like just last year, and there was an episode where they yeah, did that. Yeah, now they have. That was like a last resort. W- thing we did. It, we had these old plexiglass containers. Yeah. Now they have like the, funny. the smoker or whatever. You know, they they have. It's more advanced now, so oh, okay. Yeah, but <laughs> you very, cool. rare, very rarely did that. But yeah, that in the episode that I watched, that was their last resort thing because the fingerprint wasn't like that great or something. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. It That's was funny. Cool. You remember that story though? <laughs> <laughs> when was it? How long ago was that? that was I mean, that was had to have been either in South Dakota or Texas. That, <laughs> that I th- it was probably South Dakota. So I was like, what, six, seven something years old, something like that, right? You, yeah, you got me like a like a 
little detective kit or something. It's like you and you still, you guys. My dad still does this for Christmas this year. He got me what was uh, it? An investigative, uh, true, investigative true crime, true crime investiga- book. An investigation. It has like all the details about different cases. Yeah, yeah, famous cases or something. Investigate, right? Yeah. So when I say I've always been interested in this, you know, my dad's job. This is truly the truth. Every year, I've always gotten something. La- uh, last Christmas, you guys got me the the workbooks. <laughs> True crime oh, workbooks. Right. I did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I'm not even kidding. This is such. This goes back to like when I was five, six years old. <laughs> so, all right. Anyway, what yeah. Else? Okay. So from there, I just have some you know interesting facts. I guess. Um, I think I forgot to mention this is actually so the oldest case solved using this genealogy, uh-huh. this method. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this case, Dad. Is that. That is really interesting, and that I think is really awesome that we've come so far that now a case, um, 1967, mm-hmm. that you know that's a. So there's one thing. There's still one unknown, and right, it, it's motive, mm-hmm. right? Why, why did he do this? You know, was um, was he a sociopath? What what was the case? And and. I don't know, you know, that might be challenging for the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have closure, but it you know, it, it's a thing. When you um when you're investigating one of these type of crimes and you're interviewing the the bad guy, you know, you get all the details of course, but you you always explore motive. What what why did you do this? Mm-hmm. You know, why did you do this? If you have a serial killer, obviously you have some sort of profile, and you already kind of know right, that. like we talked about last um, week too. Right, but the the, the why, we, you know, why do you do this? Um, that'll never be known, um, and you can only. I mean, it it seems like maybe it was a, a opportunity crime of an opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, she was in the wrong place at the wrong time, perhaps, mm-hmm. or he he had been observing her walking back and forth to the. Yeah. That's true. To, from the house to the bus, and she worked nights. Because, like so, I said, it was known that she walked there. You know, um, and he he had a criminal background, so he obviously escalated from from what was his first crime uh, again. So it seems like this is actually his first crime. This no, is, no. This what did he go to jail for? for that was in 1967 or 1971. So oh, that was a that's true. Yeah, that's yeah. a few years la- a few years later. That's right. Oh, so, that's right. So, so it's. If if this is truly his first crime, oh, he kind weird. of de-escalates and then escalates because it right. seems like in 1975, that's when he's impersonating a police officer. It seems like that's when he was going to try and repeat this 1967 incident. So this happens in 1967, 1971. He's arrested for larceny and spends nine years or nine months in jail. And then four years later, 1975, is the allegation of him impersonating a police officer making traffic stops armed. He never serves any time for that or is, like, convicted of that. Yeah, so... So it's like a weird... Probably some sort of sociopath. The whole... Yeah. The whole police officer thing, um, making police stops, you know, that I think probably represents, you know, control, trying to -hmm. to exercise some sort of control, Um, but... But yes, um, I don't even think there's enough information about him no. to, you know, draw a conclusion. So right, and again, all of this um, happened early, like 1960s, 70s. So mm-hmm. the information that is out there is mostly the recent stuff. Yeah. So all right, um, well, good for the DNA, huh? Yeah. So that's why I really wanted to talk about this case. Is you know, put this information out there for everyone. Um, 
to not really be afraid of DNA. As we mm-hmm. talked about last week, if you guys haven't listened to last week's episode, go and listen to it. We kind of touch on um, a little bit of DNA and like, you know, how it works every, mm-hmm. you know, we all have our DNA is out there. Yeah, right. People, people you don't are afraid. have to do this. You know, there's some when you research this case, you know, it talks about privacy mm-hmm. versus um, public safety. You know, this thing, GEDmatch, you know, you you voluntarily submit your profile. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the other, like Ancestry, 23andMe, you know, they they don't necessarily, they, they have one single mission. They don't necessarily work with, with the police. But right. again, you're, you're volunteering to do that. A lot of people are really, really afraid, really nervous uh, to do that. Well, your DNA is out there. Well, I did 26 years in the Air Force. My DNA is out there. So Yeah, you, you um, scratch your arm outside. Right, so arm that's, that's, that's the other thing. It's week. not like, so it's when the police attempt to get your DNA and they're they're being sneaky about right. it. That's when that's when the privacy and the law and that comes in. Uh, this is they're simply using a tool that exists that's available for them. And and the company says, sure, we'll we'll put they this together. They make it known, like I said, yeah. too. You're not going into this blindly. You're not right. uploading your DNA, not knowing that it's gonna. One of, one of the comments, you know, on the opposing view I read is uh, some defense attorney or something said. You may be an informant on your family. So it's funny. The website actually says one of the things on the website is you, anyone can be a uh, a crime solver. I think is what it says. Anyone can yeah. solve, a, solve a crime. <laughs> so that's well, if, switched. If your family that. members commit murder, what, what the hell are you going to protect them for anyways? You know? Uh, yeah. But but that's, that's just silly. You're going to be an informer. So, okay. So... That's not a good defense. That's an informer. That's not a, a violation of anybody's constitutional right or anything like right to privacy. You, you, people tell on people. That's how police business work. You get informants right. to tell you. So, but that's a silly, a silly argument. You know, um, you know. Remember, you you drop DNA, spit DNA, mm-hmm. scratch DNA all ev- all day long. Ev- yeah. everywhere you go, your you DNA know? is out you know? there <laughs> now. It's when you have that soda can in your in your vehicle that's locked and your vehicle's locked mm-hmm. and the police are trying to trying to get in to get that soda can. This is a silly example, but yeah. you, the police are trying to get into your vehicle to get that soda can. That's a different story. That's mm-hmm. you know, a warrant is needs to be, be involved and that that's when your expectation of privacy comes into play. That's not what this is here at all. Right. So Um yeah, and another thing that is actually uh brought up and debated is that um, it looks for profiles that are similar to the perpetrators. So, again, you know, to get to Whippage, she had to go through his distant family tree. Right, right. So the argument is that, you know, technically this DNA is a familial match, and it's mm-hmm. not exactly a direct match. So right. they had to go through a lot of family tree mm-hmm. to get to his offspring. Right. To then get a search warrant for his DNA, right? So yeah. it's not so. Perfect well, that's why the fingerprints were important, right? Right, but had there not been yeah. fingerprints in this case, and it was only this, I think they would have so closed like, it still. Exactly. So, for example, the Golden State Killer. I don't. They didn't have any fingerprints. I don't think did they. I don't remember. It's, I don't, that's a big case. I don't remember. So if they're only going off of, you know, he ended up pleading guilty, but yeah. Uh, so I mean. It's certainly good when you have a, a suspect that's living. 
mm-hmm. it's certainly good evidence to go in and sit down with them and, and say, hey, we have your DNA, you know, yeah. and get the confession and all that all that kind of stuff, right? So so that's a good point. So he, he went to court, you know, he confessed and, and went to court off of that. This I one, don't think he I don't think he confessed. I think he just was like, OK, I'll take the plea. OK, so from what I right. read. So I they, there's more than, so it's, right. It's not just because um, they only have him the on DNA. Some of the I still think they would have um, closed this case if they didn't have the With fingerprint. That. Right. Yeah. I'm just saying but, like one of the debates is that right. it's not like an exact. No, it's not. It's close to exact. Right. Uh, the, the fingerprint's exact. I mean, I don't see a problem with the way they went about doing right. it. They they eventually got mm-hmm. to his DNA, right, and that's right. all that matters to me. Yeah. So, um, right. Also, so they weren't okay. So that's a good point. So they weren't doing searches until they weren't doing his search, a search of his DNA until they got till they exhumed uh, his his body. Right. So everything else was out there available for them mm-hmm. to piece together, and then. With the fingerprint, it they had like corroborating evidence. They were able to get uh, get probable cause to get a search warrant to exhume the body. So that's that's important. So, had his child not cooperated, what would they? What do you like? Would they have only gone with the fingerprint? Do you think they still would have been able to get the search warrant to exhume his body? So I think um, if they so, like didn't, technically they didn't have to go through the well, child, they still right? had his name, right? Right. So, and then they had that fingerprint. They, correct. So, so they still would have went with the fingerprint. They, so, so they still could have gotten. Yes, a search I, warrant, you they could have, probably because probably. they they had his name and his DNA, mm-hmm. and they said, "Oh, let's look him up in the system." Oh, he was arrested in 1971. Let's compare his fingerprints to the fingerprints we found at the crime scene, and they would have eventually probably got there. Okay, so they didn't technically need. No, but it it it, it helped in the. We're we're probably shortening the story. It probably got them closer because yeah. the, that family tree they had to go. Would you say eighteen? What was uh, the eighteen thirties and eighteen twenties? Yeah. This couple was born. So. so that was a lot of work. Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. Cool. Also, another uh, debate or argument for law enforcement to not use this is that it is expensive and takes a lot of time. So as we said, when it comes to the time, like we just you know walked through everything that. More had to do. CC more had to do. It right. takes a lot of time. Right. So, like in last week's episode, we talked about um, a small town. They're they're raising money mm-hmm. to do DNA. Right. That was. I think I read thirty thousand. Yeah. Right. So you're However, right. though. Okay. Here's my thing. How much time does it really take? Because the DNA was sent to her in two thousand. So it was two thousand eighteen. R- right, but and then a year later. So I guess I don't think no, that's that long. They're going of time. through the family tree from eighteen twenty. Remember, so it so, took her a year, yeah, basically. Yeah, but then for, I don't think that's a long time. No, but I don't. There for as much work as that is. If it was on TV, it would have happened in like five minutes. Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but after you know talking to you all the all the years and our discussions, I know I I can't watch fake like ncis with you because you you always get upset you're like that that doesn't take that long so no, i know I that care. things take i like longer. it for i like it for the drama but yeah yeah but no, you, yeah. you've made those comments that takes yeah. longer so yeah. i know that things take longer but so to me a year doesn't mm-hmm. seem that long no that's not, i mean so I, maybe maybe this this technician maybe that's her job just to do a couple cold cases and, and from what i read it seems like yeah. she is very much that's what she does i think she, i think she's the same one 
All right, good. Also, <laughs> another, um, this is the last one. So July of last year, so what, like seven months ago, six mm-hmm. months ago, Jed Match was actually hacked for three hours. Its mm-hmm. database was hacked for okay. three hours. So that's just another, it was just another argument that I saw that was yeah. like, how safe is this really? So for three hours, um, and again, I don't want to scare people away from this, but they've, you know, fixed their security now and they were able to get yeah, it and, and but they probably they're probably comfortable in what they have in their database. It's just, it's a DNA profile next to someone's name, right? So yeah. I, I, yeah, they're probably comfortable, but you're right. If everybody goes to this website, they're going to say, what? This is crazy. Yeah, it does. It looks like something from yeah, like and the and some of the comments, 90s. If you, yeah. if you Google it and then some of the comments are like, geez, based on the 1980s look, I, I I'm suspect of it, you know. A new company just recently bought it, too, mm. that okay. are trying to help with law enforcement and stuff. So it's funny that they didn't update their website. I did go to the well, website Well, these, like, these two cases, you know, the um, Golden State ki- Killer and in this case, mm-hmm. you know, really amplified who they are and what they do. So yeah, they're probably rebranding. Yeah. So, you know, that is the case. It came to a, awesome. you know, conclusion finally. Yes. Um, so again, I just wanted to talk about this to just make everyone aware of what. And that was Susan Galvin. She was 20 Susan years Galvin. old in 1967. It is an unfortunate loss, but mm-hmm. I'm glad that it came, it came to, to a, a conclusion closure. for her family. Yep. Finally. Um, and this, like I said, is the oldest case. So, that is exciting that mm-hmm. we're entering this new age of genealogy and technology yeah. with DNA that, you know, potentially more cases will be solved. Yep. Hopefully even older cases. Yeah. So thank you guys so much for listening to us chat about this today. If you like listening to us and you like hearing us talk about different things each week, please go and rate and review our podcast on Apple podcast. Uh, that's really going to help us get out there to more people um, and we would love, we love listening to feedback. We want to know what you guys think. We want to hear all the feedback. You can also leave comments and messages on anchor.fm. Um, and then you can also reach us on Instagram. So if you want to go follow us on Instagram and reach out to us, we post updates, uh, behind the scenes, fun things like that. It's True Crime Archives podcast on Instagram. And we'll see you next week. Later.